Hello and good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It is a very good morning because I am being fueled by my AG1. Oh, yeah. AG1. AG1. We love our AG1 here at the Bass household. We're big fans every day. AG1. Part of my routine. It's almost no need to even tell listeners because I feel like everybody is on board. I get nothing but positive feedback. But let's all celebrate together. Athleticgreens.com slash surf for all of your dietary nutritional needs. They ship it to your house. It's one scoop of powder in eight ounces of water. You take it daily. I do it on, they recommend doing it on an empty stomach, which I'm doing right now at 7 a.m. And uh, yeah, set it and forget it and be healthy. You know, we have a lot of, uh, well, we have a few long-term friends of the show slash sponsors and AG1 is one of them. And I probably get more questions about AG1 than anything else. Because it's universal. Everybody wants to be healthy. Right. So athleticgreens.com slash surf will answer all of your questions and help you find optimal nutrition. Um, Neat Essentials is another long-term one. They just sent me an email yesterday, I believe, um, advertising some new products that are in store. Oh. A surf, surf hat with a flap that goes down the back to protect your neck. If you're in the tropics or anywhere warm, that'll keep you completely free of a sunburn right on a new duffel bag as well. And, um, I know a lot of retailers, not just retailers, but other companies and brands, especially in Southern California are struggling due to shipping constraints and supply chain issues. Yeah. Go to needessentialsusa.com. Odds are they have what you need. I don't know that they have everything in stock, but they have everything that I've needed in the last couple of months, every time I've gone. So you know what I got sent in the mail? One of these. Oh, snap. One of these. Oh, I've got those too. One of these Prima long wooden beautiful fins. And I think you might have done a Surf Splendor podcast with them. They sent me this. I've got your stickers. They wanted me to tell you. They sent Incredible. Me- Clinica. Clinica. They sent me your Anyway, I know this isn't an ad for Clinica, but I wanted to thank them for the, for the kind uh, gesture. That was very nice of them. Thank you. How? That what is that fin? 14 inches? I think that's huge. If you can't ride the nose on this bad boy. <laughs> that thing is huge. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's really neat fin. Yeah. So Clinica um, is a retailer in Israel. Arthur Rashkavan is the owner. Yeah. And he's worked in the surf industry as like a sales rep for a number of years and then um, opened a retail shop in Hilton Beach, Tel Aviv, which is Pretty interesting little story about surf culture there. Yeah, I was very interested when I got something from Israel in the mail. I was like, wow, what's this? I know, I know. All the effort that he put into getting that here too. Yeah. Um, And then of course, Real Water Sports is our retail surfboard partner, not just surfboards. They've got all sorts of stuff. I was on their website last week looking at boards. They had a discount section. And it was up to, I think, 28% off on certain boards. Some of them are like 8% little discount, but 28% off boards, which amounts to 200 bucks, essentially. Lost, um, super brand, all sorts of Smith shapes. There was a bunch of stuff on there. So go check them out if you need a board. And if you don't, go check them out just to fantasize. Peruse at realwatersports.com. Yes. My good friend, Trip Foreman at Real Water Sports. 
And of course, we're you and I are big fans, and that's the place to go if you're a hardcore surf hardware enthusiast. Realwatersports.com. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got All right, well, hey, yeah, guy, yeah, guy, yeah, friggin' guy. Welcome, everybody. It's Spit. It is the Spit Podcast. It's Wednesday morning. We need to be alive and vibrant and robust and ready to meet the beautiful day outside. And I think I, well, I will tell you that it's March 9th, the year 2022. Good morning, David. Good morning. Where does the time go? Um, Last week, you were talking about a way that the WSL could show support for Ukraine, not the Ukraine, but for Ukraine would be printing Ukraine flags on the jerseys for the Portugal event. Yeah. They did not do that, but you know what they did do taking a page right out of your book was in support of international women's day, which was yesterday in preparation for it in advance of it. They printed, they told uh, surfers, male and female, to pick the names of female athletes who they admire or are inspired by. And so all the surfers had those names on the back of their jersey rather than their own names. Yeah, that's right out of a page, uh, yeah, page right out of my book, as you mentioned. So that's cool. <laughs> did you, you, know did you know they were doing that? And is that how you came up with the Ukraine idea? No, I had no idea. Crazy. I had no idea. But, but Isn't I think that crazy? Cool. Yeah. I mean, I would, who would you put? You know, like I would put my mother probably on there. I mean, who? But there what are was her so sport many. of choice. Oh, they had to be sporting women? I don't know. It seemed to be that was the common denominator. Yeah. Who's the greatest woman in the history of, you know, I'm reading a great book on Genghis Khan. That's right. Genghis, not Genghis, Genghis. And, um, you know, his empire, the Mongol empire for a solid 10 years was ruled by Mongol women. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Like after he died? Yeah. After he died, there was a lot of politicking about who was going to rule who. And at one point, all of Genghis Khan's sons died. And there was like this, they all get together in this sort of who they kind of hooey up. It's called a curl tie. They get together to determine who's going to be the next Khan or the great Khan or who's going to lead the empire. And at one point there was like three or four women that were like throughout, even in Genghis Khan's time, the women were administrators. Like the men went off and did the warring and the women were back at home, basically like, you know, auditing all the stuff that was coming in and basically running the empire, doing all the stuff that had to be done, schooling the children, all of that stuff. And so there were great administrators. And at one point there was kind of a void of males. And so the women got together and were like, okay, each one of the women wanted their son to be the next con. So they kind of took control and ran it and politic to the situation and moved the pieces of the puzzle around so that eventually one of their sons would be the next con. Hmm. That, this book's fascinating because what it says is, look, we know Genghis Khan is this incredibly savage human being who's horrible, 
you know, and that's through the prism, sort of the lens of, you know, um, 18th, 16th century, 17th century, 18th century historians and authors. And this is this book says, well, look, he wasn't really that bad. Look at all the incredibly progressive things he did. He had women in in charge of um, government. You know, he had he stopped the um, the kidnapping of women as your wife. You know, um, he did all of these things that and he would. And back then, the Kong tribes were uh, the Mongol tribes were very much like, hey, if you're my son, you're going to be next in charge, no matter how stupid or lame you may be. And Genghis Khan was like, no, he would go in, like, take, take, like, wipe out villages. But if you paid homage to him and subjugated to him, he would be like, dude, you're really good at this. I want you to be my next in command. He would, like, take guys from old armies that he'd conquered and put them as his next in command. He was just like, who's ever the best? It was quite a meritocracy is what I'm saying. Yeah. And even his sons <laughs> and his, his offspring, he'd be like, you're lame. Go over there and, and you know plow the fields. I don't want you even near me. You know, like basically if you're good, you're going to get a spot in my government. Meritocracy. One of the other things that he did. It's um, relatable. Like you try to provide the best life for your kid, right? These are things that I think about now comfort, all this thing, but ultimately that's going to lend or allow them to be lazy, lethargic, not a hard worker, all this sort of stuff. And so, yeah, if you're running a business or an empire, they're not equipped to continue the legacy of it. But some kid who had to struggle is probably better equipped and more appreciative and all that sort of stuff. So that's who you would want in control. But how do you do that? How do you provide your son with comfort, opportunity, resource, and still have them be a go-getter? I don't know. That's a good question. I think you say no a little bit more than yes. I'm going to start today. Yeah, well, I can speak from my kids are both go-getters and I don't, my wife and I, we look at each other and we're like, how did that happen? We spoiled the living shit out of them. (laughs) But, uh, you know, they both, they both are uh, doing what it is they want to do and they're, they're seeking it aggressively. They're not, you know, at home playing video games. Um, And the good thing is allowing them to seek it aggressively from an elevated space where they have opportunities to pursue things that aren't. Uh, that could be kind of more passion-based, you know, like they're not seeking just to get by. They're seeking something that might provide them um, fulfillment in a way beyond just financial security. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So back to Genghis Khan real quickly. We're boring. I'm personally boring listeners right now. When the women were were ruling the roost, were they as savage? Uh, no, it was actually kind of a 10 year period of relative peace. Okay. Um, they were trying to kind of get all of the ducks in order, everything lined up. But once the, the, their, the son, the one son, you know, took over, he then, you know, went on. They, they were, there was no doubt that they were extremely savage. The Mongol Empire was extremely. One of the other things they did is that they just let any religion, they weren't, they weren't sort of um, tempered or or put in a, you know, a, a, a tunnel of religion, like that part of many of them were Christians, many of them were Buddhist, many of them were, um, you know, Jewish, like they were just all they, they were like any religion you want, we don't care. And basically, because they were like, the true God is a Mongol God, 
you know, whether yeah. he's Buddhist or Christian or whatever. I mean, and their whole thing was, look at us, we're, we're dominating the earth. Our empire is incredible. Well, so God must be on our side. That was sort of their rationalization. You alienate, you create less opposition if you um, don't limit it by religion. And, and Genghis Khan would, would, would change. Like he was, he, sometimes he was Christian and, and he would also bring in these people to debate each other. He's like, I want you, and he would ask them questions, you know, like he would have like a Jewish guy, a Hindu guy, a Buddhist guy, a Christian guy, whatever. And they'd all come in and he'd go, tell me who is the real God, blah, blah, blah. And he would have like these really structured debates where they, he would give them points and stuff. And, you know, wow. eventually at the end, they all just got extremely drunk and just fell asleep. <laughs> yeah. Who knew? Seeker of truth. Quite a lot of um, alcoholism running through that whole situation. Um, probably helps you deal with the atrocities and the horrors. Um, what's the name of the book? It's called Genghis Khan, the maker of culture or something like that. I think it's Jack Weatherford is the author. It might be, I can never Good get enough. the, I'm just reading the book, but I should look at the, the uh, cover, the cover. Good enough. People can find it based on that. Um, so the big event, the big news from last time you and I recorded was they ran the entirety of the Portugal event. Yeah. The Rip Curl presents Mayo Pro or the Mayo presents the Rip Curl Pro, something like that um, in Portugal. And then there's also something presented by Corona. So lots of sponsors involved in this event. Uh, I will start our conversation by saying, wow, what a letdown after Hawaii. Uh, no matter who does what in the air, nor what rivalries or storylines develop, it is nowhere near as compelling as putting surfers in big harrowing surf. Um, turn on the broadcast. It started at about 4 a.m. for us, sometimes a little bit earlier. So I would sleep until six or seven, wake up, watch the rest of the event, watch the highlights and just go, holy cow, these highlights are low lights. There's nothing to highlight. This is like an average session at the pier down the street from me. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I watched some of it. It was hard to watch because of the time change, as you mentioned. And um, and I watched some of it and I found myself engaged more because I was in survival league or because I had a fantasy team than because, oh, I can't wait to watch them surf Portugal. You know, that wasn't my, whereas in Hawaii, as you mentioned, we're more like, hey, it's going to be, you know, eight to 12 foot pipe. This is going to be insane. You know, like we were watching it for the waves. And this, you know, goes back to what I've been saying for 15 years or whatever it is, um, that the waves are the stars, you know? There's no question in my mind. We, we kind of harp on it, but the energy level during the Hawaii events, even when the event was off, in the evening after the event, in the morning leading up to the event, when you and I are sitting here recording, the energy is palpable. You know, there's there's this kind of reverberation that exists around those events. The stark contrast that existed between that and Portugal, it was like you and I care deeply. I could barely I could barely muster interest, even with the survival pick and all that kind of stuff. It was like, geez, those waves literally look like what I'm going to go serve today. And now I'm just going to go surf because this isn't nearly compelling enough to keep me engaged. So I think that's that's a big problem. And it's not the first time. Like 
we understand this really well. We've been experiencing this for years, talking about it for years. Time to pivot away from this. Full stop. No question. Yeah, it's funny. I was just thinking you mentioned the survival thing. And so what made me chuckle a bit was that the round of 32 is the most interesting round for me. Yeah, you know, the totally. round of 32. I was like, because I had uh, Idolo. And I forget who Elo was surfing against. But anyway, I was all about the round of 32. And then I knew you had Kanoa. So I was watching the Kanoa. He, you know, and I don't think I watched the Kanoa. He, I might have, but. No, because you asked me if he made it or not. Yeah. But, but yeah, you're, you're right. It's more interesting than the, than the final series. And I didn't watch the final day at all. I mean, the whole thing finished before I woke up. I think it was. It did. Yeah. But if you watch so, the highlights, it was the worst day of competition. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even watch it. I was, I was um, a bit as I. I did text you about the Baron Mamiya heat, and I guess you disagree with me. But I thought Baron Mamiya did a pretty incredible one maneuver wave aerial that I thought, you know, deserved a higher score. They gave him a four seven three on it. So Baron Mamiya versus Jordy Smith. Jordy surfed uh, kind of more traditionally open carves, like big, big carves, combinations of maneuvers. Um, and he got midpoint, mid-range fives for it. The waves weren't big. I'd say even the set waves were shoulder high. Baron Mamiya got a long left that by the time he hit the air section, it was knee high, maybe ankle high, but he did the best air you could possibly do on a knee high wave. And it was a full rotation backside three, you know, spin landed it clean and they gave him a four, seven, three. So I guess, you know, the, the commentators were mentioning, Hey, that's what the judges are looking for. They said before the heat started today that they were looking for big progressive maneuvers. Are you telling me that the size of the wave was the reasoning behind the low score or they just went back on their initial. I absolutely think it was the size of the wave and the size of the section. And then you told me that you sent me a text that said, hey, the, the surfer that deserved to win, I forget exactly how you phrased it, but it's a phrase you often use when I text. The right surfer made the heat. Yeah, the right surfer made it through. So explain that to me because um, are you telling me that, well, explain that. Explain that to me. Why do you think that? Um, when you look back at the heat with hindsight, Jordy Smith was the better surfer in that heat and he made it through the heat. So in the midst of the heat, you can be squabbling over these little scores. And uh, I mean, tr and by the way, that's also part of what happens when you're surfing, when you're running a mediocre surf is you're going to be squabbling over fractional um, scores within the five to six point range. And that we all know the judging is not objective enough to really leave it in those hands, you know? Yeah. There's too much subjectivity to allow for it to be that fractional. Anyways, what I meant by that is while you're squabbling over it in real time, with the benefit of hindsight, you could look back, look at the two waves and go, okay, Jordy was the better surfer on those two waves. That's all. What about the concept of, um, like, so to me, Jordy's heat feels like three to the beach. It does, you're right. And, and Barron's, and we all know every surfer on this tour can do three to the beach. And Baron's wave just seemed way more, his surfing seemed more progressive. Like 
do we really want to are we lowering our standard if it's just like hey three big turns to the beach wins no matter what or or wins over a very hard to do difficult challenging progressive maneuver a one way of maneuver uh it just feels to me that like I look at it like, look, everyone can kind of do what Jordy did, which and Jordy surfed great, by the way. And I'm a big Jordy fan. I want Jordy to be in the top five. But um, I guess part of me was like, you know, earlier, a couple of weeks ago or last week, I said, look, the pressure is really on the guys that did well in Hawaii, especially the Baron Mamias and the Seth Monizes, who we know can do good in Hawaii. Can they translate that now as we go on the CT and have to deal with, you know, sketchy conditions are not as you know not as good of waves as we mentioned can that's where i felt like the pressure was and i felt like baron mamia lived up to the to the pressure like he went out there and did an incredible small small wave maneuver and uh i was just disappointed you know i i i felt like baron did what it took to get to advance surfing through the eyes of of the world you know yeah you're totally this is a valid argument it was the wave that Baron picked when Baron's racing down the road on that wave. And there's no critical section at all. I knew before he even went to the air, no matter what he does at the end of this wave, it's not going to net an important score. Whereas Griffin Col or yeah, Griffin Colapinto actually got a 10 for doing a similar air, but it was on a set wave on a critical section, you know, in, that made all the difference in the world. Felipe Toledo, or not Felipe, uh, Idolo, did it on a closeout. Also, just this hucking section that he just goes into lip. So that's what mattered, I think. So Baron's section wasn't hucking. It wasn't pounding. It wasn't powerful. It was kind it was, of it was, it was a gutless crumb, wave. Crumbly at the okay. So yeah, it was a small gutless left that he was racing down to the end section on that you just knew no matter what, what he does, it's not going to be. It, it wasn't. But, well, but so to that. Kind of the contrast of that was Jordy. He did do maneuvers that everybody else on tour can do, but he did them on a set wave in the critical section to a degree that was more significant than anything that Baron was doing, you know, and that's all that it came down to. Yeah. But your your argument still stands, and they did stay true to that argument by giving Griffin a 10 when he did it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And I don't think that anybody argued against that 10. I think it was all the judges had a 10 on their scorecard, all right. of us watching it recognized it was two to three points better than anything else that we had seen certainly throughout that day um so i think this judging did i mean this was the first air event on tour and the the judging reflected that you know yeah yeah all right um but a couple of other storylines that are worth discussing i mean you talk about having idolo as your uh survival pick which was a great pick and that's who i was thinking I should have picked instead of Kanoa to save Kanoa for another event, but Kanoa made it through as well. Um, this is the first season where I feel like Felipe looks better than Idolo. When we're having that conversation about those three Brazilians in the top five, Gabe, Idolo, Felipe, to me, it was always kind of Gabe by a nose, Idolo in second and Felipe quite, you know, didn't quite have all of the tools that those guys have certainly in big waves this is the first season where I'm looking at Felipe going, dude, he's got Idolo's number. Idolo has a chink in the armor this season, probably headspace more than anything. And he, he recovered some points in Portugal coming out of Hawaii, 
but he still wasn't flawless like he generally is. He looks penetrable. Yeah. Yeah, I see uh, you, you raise a great point. And I frankly see Felipe getting through the uh, whole, the Australian leg in first place. He's going to come out of, yeah, he's going to come out of Bell's and uh, Margaret's in first place. And he's going to have the pressure of the yellow jersey on him as we start to get into waves of consequence again, God willing that it's, you know, solid swell as we move towards G land and Chopu. And uh, there's going to be at, and then the rubber's going to meet the road for Felipe. If it's legit Chopu and legit G land more, more Chopu. I think G land won't be a problem for for, for Felipe. It's kind of a perfect way. Well, but, so this makes for a compelling season now because you have the trading of first place, starting the season with Baron. Now Kanoa's is holding it. Felipe actually won Margaret River, I think last time we were there. So, and he could do well at Bells. So yeah, you're right. And he really needs to look at winning both those events. I agree. To make up for the losses that he's going to have in big barreling surf. Yeah, specifically Chopu. Uh, Agreed. That's the one where if he just gets like a ninth or something, he, I would consider it a success because. Yeah. Agreed. You know, and, and he would do phenomenally at, in El Salvador, certainly in Rio, he's a contender. Jay Bay, we know he's a contender. He's blown our minds there. So when I look at him again, specifically versus Idolo, I'm like, man, Idolo, I don't feel confident about at El Salvador. Uh, He's done well at Bells. I think he made the final. He did make the final at Bells. I don't think he's won it. Um, but yeah, it it's the first year where I feel like I would actually bet on Felipe versus Idolo. They should get rid of the Rio event and have lowers take its Agreed. place. Yeah, and then never as we mention every single week, the tour should finish at Pipeline. Start and finish at Pipeline. That's that's the dream tour. Start um, and finish at Pipe. Agreed. So top five while we're on it, it yeah. currently is Kanoa in first, Kelly in second, Baron Mamiya in third, Felipe in fourth, and Seth Moniz in fifth. Um, and how do you, what are your thoughts on Griffin or do you have any? He's the first Californian surfer to win a CT event in 13 years, I believe. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, it was the Bobby last. Mar Bobby, Bobby Martinez, 2009. Kaloe's never won a CT. Mm -mm. And we don't and count Kanoa as a, an American. Well, Kanoa doesn't count himself as a Californian. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, Kalohe lost to Griffin in this event, which I think, you know, that's an interesting storyline that gets touched on occasionally. But Griffin is the apprentice to Kalohe. Um, same town, grew up with Kalohe kind of showing him the ropes. And Griffin has surpassed Kalohe. Uh, I think as a surfer, just at large, but certainly in terms of competitive results now, um, I thought Griffin looked phenomenal. I mean, the, the waves benefited Griffin compared yeah. to a lot of the other competitors because these, that was very much like California, but I thought his boards particularly looked so spicy, whatever wave he was on small waves when he was on kind of the set waves, all of it just 
it had so much spark. Which what is does he ride uh, by uh, Lost? Does he ride Mayhem? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, yeah. Griffin moved up twenty spots. Insane. When you, when you look at the rankings here on the WSL website, that's the thing that stands out: a movement of twenty. And frankly, he obviously had a horrible Hawaii season, but that's not like Griffin. Griffin serves great in Hawaii, so mm-hmm. I sense that that Griffin will be in the top five shortly i think he'll i think easily i think he moves up well i think he could do well at bells you know i mean bells he's kind of it suits him really really well i don't think he has any like holes in his game regarding the the spots on tour you know yeah i don't either that's a good point um on the women's side it was great to see Lakey Peterson back in form. She's been struggling due to injury the last few seasons, but the semifinals, she took over. She beat Stephanie Gilmore. Tatiana Weston Webb took down Carissa Moore, and then Tati beat Lakey for the finals. So, congratulations to Tatiana Weston Webb. Um, and again, because of mediocre surf, all of those heats I just mentioned and the ones before were fractional, you know, it was people getting through heats with, they both had 10 point heat totals and there was just a fraction of difference between the two of them. And so it really could have been argued either way for a number of those heats, but um, regardless, great to see Lakey back and congratulations to Tati. Well, last week when we were speaking about the women, uh, Moana Jones-Wong was sort of our discussion. Like it was too bad that she didn't get a spot and that Tia Blanco did get, get a spot and Tia didn't take advantage of the situation with the 17th Absolutely place and she lost immediately. This is where you start to think, God, they, you know, the WSL lost a really good storyline at the very yeah. least. I mean, assuming, I mean, I think if Moana Jones Wong got a 17th, we'd be going, see, she really is just a pipe specialist. And well, they, the thing is, we won't know. We just simply won't know. Well, we lost two storylines. The WSL lost two storylines. They lost the Moana storyline and they lost the Tia storyline. They built an entire show for ABC where the prize was for this person to come out of obscurity and compete against the world's best. And she floundered. And to be honest, I don't think anybody expected her to do well. Anybody who knows surfing, because I watched that uh, that show and it was like, she deserves to win this show, but she's not CT level, you know, as, yeah. a, as, whereas when you watch Zeke and Koa Smith, yeah. they were CT level surfers. Nobody else on that men's side was, but those two guys were. Yeah. And you were telling me though, that Tia gets a couple more wild cards because of the yeah, win. She gets three total. So I think it's um, El Salvador is what they decided. Bells maybe. And uh, Portugal. Okay, so, you know, I guess we'll see, really. You kind of got to give her a, a pass on one event, you know, her first CT. Yeah, maybe she'll Maybe she'll get it together. Well, look, it was a freaking terrible event. You know, the waves are terrible. That local, the local, I forget which of the two, I think it was Afonso Atunes, didn't catch a wave in his first heat. And he's the local wild card. He did not catch a wave. And this isn't because it was 12 feet in draining. He just didn't catch a wave. And uh, I mean, God, there's no excuse. Yeah, super weird. 
That's pretty weird. But anyways, I, I, so, actually, I actually do blame him for that, not the waves. Dude, I, yeah, put on a jersey. I mean, the other guys in the heat. Guess what? They caught waves. There were waves to be caught, and it's <laughs> and it wasn't big, scary waves. There was plenty of waves. I think he was like waiting for a good one, and there was no good one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so to Tia's point, it was a tough event. Understandable that she would lose. Uh, but man, if imagine if you got to pick your three wild cards, I'd be like. J Bay, here I come. G Land, here I come. Um, yeah. I would like to think Chopu or Pipeline, but I'm no, not qualified no, no, for those. No, 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 so. no, 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 no. I'm just picking the based on location. I'm like, yeah, I'd like to too. hang out in Hawaii. <laughs> no, no, no the I'll be with Felipe on the beach. No, no, exactly. No, no, we want G Land and J Bay, and what's the other spot that we want? Just I'll for... sell it. I'll sell the third wild card to Moana. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Margaret River. I don't know. Moana, you got 20K from that first event? Or how much was it? I'll take it. Give me half. Yeah, I think 70. So she'd have 35 to chip my way and you have the wild card into the next event. Uh, anyways, the top five for the women's event for the women's tour right now is kind of interesting. Brissa Hennessy sits in the first position. Huge. Um, that's obviously based on her sunset result, largely Carissa Moore in second, Lakey Peterson back in third, Tatiana in fourth and Malia Manuel, who's never won an event, but she's made two finals now she's in fifth. So she's looking to better that. Well, um, you know, what interests me more than the top five is the cut line. The cut line is where the story is. And I look at the men's cut line and. You know, I'm kind of okay with the, the surprise here is Owen Wright in my mind. I know that doesn't surprise you, but I guess he's getting long in tooth. It's very surprising. You know, that's the one where you're like, okay, he's at least going to be like 16 or 12 or something, you know, like he's just got too much experience at all of these spots. He's that one surprises me. It's very surprising. Morgan Sibillic does not surprise me. You know, these guys that are be below the line, none of them, really surprised me except well for Owen, right what is surprising though about that or not surprising but the conversation there is a number of these guys who came out so strong these rookies who came out so strong in the first event of the season haven't been able to continue that momentum so jackson baker's in 23rd joao chianca's in 23rd um matt mcgillivray had a strong start he's out so Leonardo. and that that's that's true on the women's side too. I mean, we talked about the rookies taking over this season and they came out in Hawaii strong and this Portugal event, it was the same old names on top. Again, the rookies were nowhere to be seen. You know, when you look at the cut line and you look at say the, the top five above the line and the, and the first five below the line, you know, where do you see shifting here happening? Like Jack Robinson, is above the cut line. Who's going to drop? I mean, like Sammy Pupo is going to drop, right? Yeah. Frederick Marias is going to move up. Yep. Well, I think both the events in Australia benefit from experience there. So if you've been to Bells a bunch, you know it well. Same with Margaret River. So that's where you'll see the shifts happening. I think um, obviously John John Florence is known for – the yeah, but I'm event. just looking at the cut line though. Like, uh, who's gonna? 
we've got two more events before the cut and they're both in Australia. And so who's going to rise Nobody. above the cut line and who's going to go below? I don't think any of those people below the cut are really going to, I mean, you're right. Maybe Frederico would be the one, but the guys below him, Leonardo, Joao, Jackson, well, Jackson being Australian, maybe he can push past. Leonardo has tons of experience. And you look at guys like Sammy Pupo, you could see Sammy Pupo dropping below the cut line. You could see Luca Messinas dropping below the, you could see them getting out in the 30 round of 32. Yeah. And Leonardo and Frederico moving up just based on experience. Yeah. But anyway, maybe it's not that entertaining from a from a storyline. Maybe there's nothing here. I mean, all of those names that you just said. Yeah, I don't care. I, I mean, I really don't care. Like, because ultimately they're only going to be battling for between spots 15th and 24th. They're not going to be battling the top five. Yeah. And at that point, it's a waste of our time. I mean, again, I've said it before, but when you run two days of competition just to lose four surfers who are never going to contend for a title anyways, yeah. what is the point? Yeah. It's, and it's especially silly. if you pick the best portion of the swell to run those two days in, then you're running the finals in crappy surf. Yeah. Um, as a final thought on Portugal, I'll end where I started and just say that this content is not compelling enough to engage a non-core audience. Oh, the content, no the content wasn't compelling enough to engage a core audience. So if their goal is to grow the audience, there's no point in running in waves that are less than consequential. Yeah, there's, there's, there's simply no doubt about that. I agree totally with that. It's, uh, you know, coming lacking. up here, it's lacking. You know, it's weird. Okay, so let's see, April. Okay, Rip Curl starts, the Rip Curl Bells Beach starts April 10th. Uh, where is, Kelly's number two in the world. Yeah. Looks like Kelly's not going to have a problem getting to Australia. It sounds as if he's vaccinated. How, why does it sound like that? He's basically he said he's going. He's basically said he's going and he said he's not going to reveal his vaccination status, but and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, I'm going. So you figure it out. Yeah. You know, which is sort of code for, yeah, I'm good. Um, and I don't, I don't even think the COVID thing, I think it's all going to be gone. I think all well, the. It's I mean, nice we, to yeah. have the very first time in years that we're not questioning whether or not they're going to run Tahiti or these other events. It's like, yeah. we just kind of, we just agree and know the, this, this tour is going to roll out and happen the way that it's scheduled and yeah. what a refreshing feeling that is. Yeah. And the WSL people must be excited about that too. Totally. Um, yeah. So, what, so what's your question on bells? Oh, I'm just, I was just, it was kind of Kelly Slater related, you know? So who's your fantasy era survival pick? Wow. You know, I'm not going to tell you, but um, <laughs> I always think that you'll just get lulled into it accidentally. Yeah. No, no, this Never. is money. Never. Uh, I'm putting Griff. Jake Marshall had a pretty good run in Portugal, all things considered. 12th place yeah, is rookie season. He's got to be happy with that, I think. Yeah, put him on your fantasy team. Put I him think, on your survival team. I think Griff is a good pick. Thank you. Um, 
I'll stick with it then. Who have you chosen so far? Uh, John, John at Pipe, Seth at Sunset, Canoa in Portugal. Okay. So given the rest of the season, I would love to still have Canoa on as one of my picks, but I accept that I, I picked him for the right event. Um, so I think I could burn Griffin at Bell's. Jack Robinson, maybe at Margaret River. I'm not too sure about that one yet. G Land, I might go with Kelly. El Salvador, I'll, El Salvador, I'll go with Felipe. Rio, I'll go with Idolo. J Bay, I'll probably go with Jordy. Uh, Tahiti, there, I need a pick there. Hmm. <laughs> not sure about that one. Yeah. We'll have to think that through. Yeah. John, John, Gabriel, but I don't have them anymore. Jack, I might want for that. So maybe I'll pick somebody else for Margaret and use Jack for Tahiti. Don't know. Going to have to reassess all of this now. Um, speaking of Jack, are you caught yeah. up? Episode three of Stab in the Dark last I week? was watching it this morning. I'm, I'm like two thirds of the way through. He's just now riding the Paisel. He got rid of, in episode three, from what I know, he got rid of the DHD. And he got rid of the first board that he rode, which was the JS, JS or vice or, Yeah, he got rid of the DHD and the JS. And he's riding the Paisel as, as I speak. Can I reveal? Sure. To spoil it to you since it's a yeah. week old. Uh, it really comes down between the Paisel and the Merrick. And Paisel is actually in the water with him. And I feel like trying to sway Jack's opinion slightly. Really? But... but as we've seen, Jack is uh, true to the cause, as he was with Arakawa. He is objective, and he picked the board that he preferred, which was the Merrick, the Brit Merrick, Channel Islands. Did he know? He's. It's almost. He's. He's un, It's uncanny how he knows which board's which. Do you think they it's told remarkable. him? No, I don't think they told him. It is. He seems. It is remarkable. He seems totally sincere. Um, so currently based on the three episodes, the boards that are still in contention are the Violis, the Chili, the Merrick, and the Pukas shaped by Axel Lorenz. Um, and that's it, I guess. Those are the ones that go to the final. Those are the four boards that go to the final for episode four this week. Uh, I'm curious to hear how you feel Jack Robinson is doing as a pilot test pilot versus other seasons of this series? Uh, I think he's doing good. You know, I enjoy watching him surf. I enjoy watching how the boards <laughs> react under his feet. To me, the fun of the series is watching him surf and, and kind of guessing if he's not going to like it or if he's going to like it. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, the rust colored one, I think it was the DHD. I was like, I don't think he's going to like this board. The way that the nose, the, the way that the board was reacting, there was just moments where you're like, oh. And then there's certain waves where you're like, oh, the way that board fins released and then re-engaged quickly without him having to think about it. I think when the surfer, when you sense that the surfer doesn't have to think about the board, it generally comes in and goes, yeah, this one, this one feels has a you know, moment of zen. I thought that the JS and the Pizel looked great under his feet. And so it's interesting to hear him come in and have critic 
criticism about those boards. Um, obviously, he's way more attuned than I than my eye is, and he's feeling things. But I agree with you. That is the value of this series, is really fine tooth combing, like watching him on that, analyzing every little twitch, and then hearing him talk through how he's feeling, why he's feeling. And there is a lot of overlap. I am seeing a lot of the things that he is discussing, but with those two boards in particular, I thought they looked great and then not great enough for him, apparently. Yeah. You know, one of the cool things about this, this stab in the dark uh, brand, if you will, is <clears throat> the, the ability for stab and for Ashton and Sam and whoever is involved, Michael, to, to kind of change the format around. And one of the things I was thinking would be cool, and we did this with the Icons of Foam Shape Off at the Boardroom Show, was have like a, a tournament of champions type of thing. So imagine you have 12 boards and they're from three shapers. They're from Britt Merrick, whoever the champions are. It'd be Pizel, I think, Violas, whoever's won it the most, right? And I mm -hmm. think you've got, I, I believe, and I could be wrong, that you have a you have at least three shapers that have won it twice, right? But I don't know. Maybe that's not right. I don't recall. And maybe, I know Pizel's won it at least twice, right? Pizel's won it twice. Britt Merrick's won it once. I think DH has won it once or twice. So my point is, if you can get to a place where you have, let's say you only have two shapers that have won it twice, multiple times whatever maybe it's three shapers that are multiple times you take those two or three shapers and you build 12 boards but you don't tell the surfer that there's only three shapers or only two shapers you go yeah we've got 12 shaped boards here and there's only three shapers at four boards each yeah or two shapers with six boards each and this the cool thing about this right is that um obviously the surfer is like oh this is a you know, and, and what it does is it allows the surfer, because this is what I think is missing because there's 12 boards. I just don't feel like Jack's giving each shaper their fair due. Totally. And so with six boards made by Mayhem and six boards made by Pizel, these guys are going to get to ride the same shaper numerous times. Yeah. It calls into question the whole thing of like Kelly, you know, would get 12 Merricks back in the day from Al and be like, this one's the magic one. Yeah. Al was trying to do the exact same thing with all those boards. He yeah. just happened for whatever reason to nail it with that. And it's out of Al's hands a lot of the times. Yeah. Like it's every stringer has different wood grain in it. Absolutely. Every foam blank is, has a different composition slightly. Yep. Every lamination layup is different. Fin yep. placements might be slightly different, you know, all of that stuff factors in to the mojo. And, and not so, to mention, am I wearing a wetsuit? Did I gain three pounds? Did, you know, did I lose four pounds? Did, you know, all of that stuff. Like there's so many factors. So along those lines is the board of the one of 12 that Kelly picks as magic today could be different under different environmental conditions. If he Absolutely. was riding it in a yeah, cold climate versus warm, but he's already discounted the 11. I mean, that's, we all do that. You form that opinion right out of the gates. It's hard to break from that initial opinion. 
So I, your experiment is certainly an interesting one. Yeah, it would be pretty fun. As a shaper, you'd be able to, you know, okay, I'm building six boards, you know, and it would just be, I think it would be a really cool way to look at it. And that, look, well, I know that they're always looking to, to throw a curveball, and that would be a pretty cool curveball. They have more ideas than they have ability to execute the ideas. Yeah, the, the space that they're in for creating um, content like this kind of long form, co- like they have an audience that's fully engaged and they can build whatever content they want for that audience. Yeah, is awesome. They are in a space all their own. Nobody else has the resources to kind of play the way that they play because they set up that subscription model and that's what their audience knows and wants from them. That's what they're best at. They're really in a unique space. And so the world is their oyster. It's just, which ideas do you prioritize to execute? You know, I'm watching uh, Bob Dylan's documentary, uh, No Direction Home. Martin Scorsese doc. Yeah, great film, loved it. And there was a line in there where the guy says, you know, the thing is with Dylan is that the audience comes to him. He doesn't go to the audience. In other words, he could play a friggin', you know, bongo drum and people are going to come and see what Dylan's all about. And in some regard, Stab has that same vibe. Like, we're going to come. You know what yeah. I mean? We're going to come check it out. And um, until problem- you're not authentic and honest, you know, and they are, you know, Stab's doing a great job with this. It's a great analogy. The difference is people will continue to show up. Bob Dylan's been playing crap for 20 years <laughs> and people still show up. Well, that's I went the point. Saw, but Stab, as soon as they drop the ball, we're oh, going right, to call right. out for it. Like right. they have, their, their content is A plus. As right. soon as it becomes B, we're going to call them out and yeah. we're going to stop paying them. Whereas Dylan, I went and saw him 15 years ago. He did play a bongo drum and just <laughs> growled into the, just growled into the microphone. And I was like, this guy's a genius. <laughs> Take my hundred bucks. I'm coming back next time. That's so funny. You say that. Cause I, I've never, I was ignorant of Bob Dylan. I, I always was like, ah, you know, he sounds like the barber on the Andy Griffith show Floyd when he sings, you know, and that's a deep reference that you'd have to really go down a YouTube channel to figure out, but he does sound like Floyd, the barber, but regardless, I was ignorant of Dylan and I still am, but I'm feeling much more, uh, open to being a Bob Dylan. I understand Bob Dylan much greater than yeah. I did before after watching this. And I think I've told you in the past, all of my musical heroes love Bob Dylan. So I'm like, I, I guess I kind of got to like Bob Dylan, you know, like the stones and whoever petty and basically everybody is yeah. like Bob Dylan's the man. And I never knew why, cause I didn't grow up in that generation. And I always kind of um, ignorantly and with, uh, you know, I just didn't look into it. So it's fun to be learning. I love learning about Bob Dylan and I love opening my eyes to new things and changing the way I thought about things. Do you have any appreciation for the folk era and movement and that music? I have a lot of appreciation for the words, you know, his words, you know, the prose, the poet that is Bob Dylan. Necessarily the three, the three, the three same chords are kind of like lame, but that's sort of the format that provides for the words to take center stage. I, I love all of that. Um, I had, I think I found other folk. My parents played for me, other folk musicians prior to Dylan, like Simon and Garfunkel, let's say um, uh, Pete Seeger, you know? So like I had all of that awareness 
So when Dylan entered the picture for me, when I was still very young, that set its hook. And so then to find or to track Dylan's career out of folk allowed me to appreciate the stuff in the next few decades that wasn't necessarily as like the rock and roll stuff isn't as let's say good of rock and roll as the stones, but the hook was already set with Dylan. And I appreciated the trajectory of the career and the narrative that he was building and all that sort of stuff. So he already had a place in my heart. I could overlook the uh, imperfections of his voice and the music and all that sort of stuff. But if you start with a folk and you have an appreciation for folk, he was the best at that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing storyline and narrative. And uh, if you haven't seen No Direction Home, which I, I'm sure most 90% of people have, I hadn't seen it. And it was just eye opening. And did Dylan, you finish it yet? I finished it last night. Did we talked about this years ago? I think I, I explained it to you that final scene. Yeah. That's where he walks out on stage and they're just like Judas. Yeah. Judas is what they're calling him. Cause he's got the electric guitar and then he just turns back to the band and he goes, turn it up. Yeah. And then he just starts playing what will become an anthem to that audience. Yeah. Like that, that audience was pissed because he had abandoned the folk messaging. Yeah. But this song was, no direction home you know like you're like a rolling stone you got no direction home which is exactly what that guy who yelled judas was feeling in that moment he just didn't know it yet exactly and, and that song became that kid's anthem two and three years down the road and is still his anthem right now in the retirement home you know <laughs> but he just did and ju that's how how amazing bob dylan was is he was just one step ahead creating the trend influencing yeah, he he's got something. Uh, one of the guys in the in the documentary, one of the producers said, just look at him. He's got the Holy Spirit. And I thought that was so telling. That is absolutely true. Like there is an, a brutal honesty that comes out of Bob Dylan. That's just um, that's just it's magnetizing. You're drawn towards how honest he is. Yeah. And I, I just found it. I'm. I'm I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a huge fan. And I know that's, I know I'm late to the party, but I'm not, you know, you, you know, Drew Campion, the old editor of surfer mag surfing magazine, Drew Campion, he's a friend of mine. And, and I, one day I forget when or why, but I'm like, you know, who's the best. And he, he's like, Bob Dylan, like Drew Campion's like a huge Dylan guy. And I'm like, I don't get it. And he's like, you know, you're stupid. You will. <laughs> no, he honestly, it's like, I don't tell people they're stupid or they need to get it. I'm just like, I'll talk yeah. to you five years from now, eight years from now, maybe 15, you're going to come back and be like, Hey man, I really like Bob Dylan. And then we'll talk. Well, in honesty to Drew, Drew didn't say I was stupid. Drew, Drew was, he's a very sweet guy. He was just like, yeah, Dylan's the guy, man. Dylan is and my here, guy. Here's my favorite thing. I have this epiphany every couple of years where a new song pops up that I've never, a new Bob Dylan song that I had never heard before pops up and I go, man, this sounds I, I, what is this? Who is this? And then I look it up and it's Dylan. And I'm like, oh my God, I pay a lot of attention to him. I think I know his music, but his catalog is so vast and the style of music ranges so many genres that it can still pop up. And I don't know who it is. And I there's, love it. You're right. And, and to speak to that, there's a song that runs during the credits 
that's just you know i don't even know the name of it maybe we can close our show with that song yeah but it, it, it's such a great song i remember last night listening to it and it's one of the folksy acoustic things and i was like ah, i'm going to download that song man that song's cool it had a really good tempo anyway um, there's there's a soundtrack he did for um pat garrett and billy the kid it was a film mm-hmm. he did he scored the whole film it's all instrumental and it's like that album i have it on vinyl from beginning to end really? you've never heard any of those songs played on the radio really and it, yeah and it's just so good it feels is it like all acoustic cowboy. or yeah. has it got some country like telecaster twang to it all acoustic and it's like woodwind instruments and guitar um and then yeah and then the couple of i think he did two he converted to christianity in the early 80s yeah early early 80s late 80s and um those two albums i find some real gems on gospel type music like again you never heard them on the radio i'll send you a couple of a couple of my favorites yeah please do um at people, any rate, people are bored by our surf talk. The other when you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. The other couple of surf related things. Yes. Are you following the Levi Swanson story of the last 24 hours? I am. The Levi story is sort of the buried lead here, isn't it? It feels like. So Levi Swanson, young, I don't know, probably 18-ish years old. It's Slauson. Oh, I'm sorry, Slauson. Levi Slauson. He's a friend. I've known the kid and his father and his brother since they were, you know, six and eight years old. They're they're from around here in Encinitas. And they're a great family. And, uh, and the you know, Noah and Levi are great kids. Or now they're adults. And How old do you think he is? I bet he's 20. Maybe, okay. he's eight, maybe he's 18. Got it. 19. Um, yeah, Sloss and my computer auto-corrected his name, but he was competing in Dominican Republic at a QS 1000. He was uh, winning a heat. He, was, he had priority. And so the competing surfer took off on a wave and Levi blocked him, essentially dropped in in front of him to use priority. 
so that that person couldn't get the score. That person kicked his surfboard at Levi aggressively, directly, hard. The thing went to the extent of the leash and then flicked kind of right by Levi's face. Levi puts his hands up and the board thankfully didn't hit him, but it got no, it hit close. It hit his arm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it hit his arm and he has bruises on his arm. There you go. That's even a bigger I mean, story. According then. to Instagram, according to, I think, Stab. Okay. So that then means that if he had not put up his arms, it could have blocked, it could have hit him in the face, yeah. but it looked, it was intended to hit him in the face and yeah. um, in the head intent here is the, the key and the intent is obvious. And some of those uh, publications I saw were leaving out the other surfer's name. I will not. That other surfer's name is Magno Pacheco and he's from Brazil. I think he lives in Huntington now, similar age surfer. And Anyways, Levi took to Instagram, he posted the footage and he said, was having a really fun uh, heat round one heat in the last event before this happened. I had first priority, took off on the wave uh, at the end of the heat. And I guess this was his reaction. He said it was a quote accident, but to think that uh, what would have happened if your fins actually hit me, so glad to be okay. Thank you. Time to move on to the next event. Feel free to repost. He went back and edited the caption later and said, thank you to the WSL for taking quick action on this. So I don't think the WSL had taken action. He posted this and then the WSL took action. I don't know what the action was. Do you have any insights or? I don't. Um, I sort of just kind of like you is randomly trying to figure it all out on Instagram and then stab ran a story this morning or yesterday on it. And um, so I don't know what the action was. What I do know is Magno Pacheco mm-hmm. is taking some time away from the tour, according to Stab, according to himself. Like that's, let me see if I can pull it up. But, Good. Um, and my gut feeling is, is that, so, so I guess the big question is, um, you know, what should the action, what should the WSL uh, penalty beat and some are saying banned for life some on the internet you know some some randos on the internet like you and i are saying he should be banned for life from competition uh when we look at it again intent it's obvious this is a professional surfer that shot his board at another professional surfer this this did not have to occur this was not an accident and then some of the stuff that Mag- Magno is saying is um, the WSL is confirmed. Okay, blah, 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 blah. hold on. Let me, okay. So this is what Magno said. He said he was stepping away from competition for a while to work on himself. I'm sorry to all the surf community and sorry to Levi and all his friends. I hope people in the WSL will learn from this and never do this mistake I did. Hmm. So uh, that to me kind of sounds like guilt. Like why would you be stepping away to work on yourself if it was an accident? Right. I think he was probably suspended. I mean, the fact that Levi thanked the WSL at the end of his caption makes me think that the WSL did implement some punishment. I would you're asking what's the appropriate punishment. I don't think full banning from contests is the right. That's too aggressive. I would say suspend him from 
whatever, five events, three to five events, suspension, ruinous season. And that'll give them enough time to think about it. Um, I can't assess any level of contrition from Magno. I'm guessing he's taking time off, not because on his own accord, it's because the WSL suspended him. And so I can't assess any contrition. Yeah. But why would you be working on yourself? Like that's just the right thing to say. I know it's, it's kind of like Phil Mickelson ask, you know, but yeah, you know, I, I mean, look, I would like to do it. Like if, if there was no intent, if you're like going, yeah, it was a mix. It was an accident. It was a mistake. I don't um, think he's claiming that. I think said. he, well, Levi said that Magno claimed it was an accident, but that was probably in the heat of the moment. Like they came up from that wave. Levi looked back probably and was like, what the hell? And Magno was probably like, oh, it was an accident, you know, just blowing it off. Once, once Magno's faced with the footage, there's no way to claim that that was an accident. It was very clearly intentional. He's saying I, if was, you're not, that, I was not <laughs> trying to hit him. Those are his words. I was not trying to hit him. Uh, if he's that bad at surfing, then he shouldn't be in a contest. If, if he's claiming that that was accidental, then he's terrible at surfing. You know what I mean? Um, right. So, I mean, ultimately I grew up in an era where this was the thing where you would kick your board, but it wasn't, I don't know of anybody ever kicking it at the surfer. It was more an act of frustration. And so you'd kick it forward towards the beach or something like that. If it was ever the direction of a surfer, you had to be more than six feet away so that you knew it wasn't going to hit him. It was always an act of frustration. This was clearly not just frustration. It looked intended to hit Levi. Yeah, there's no doubt that it was. And um, anyway, I, I think that Magno's career is over, quite frankly. Well, it's, a, I don't it's think, bad PR. It's like no any coming sponsor, back from this. There's no coming yeah, back any, from this. Any sponsor, anybody in the industry that's looking at it is not a fan of what no. happened there. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Okay. So that is the appropriate punishment then, you know, it's like, yeah, sure. The WSL suspends him, but the real uh, vindication cosmically is. It's over Johnny. You showed your character, you showed your character and the world will respond whether or not we want to spend time with you or pay you or see more of you. Uh now we get a we get a macro or kind of a micro um, cosm of that on Instagram where we see somebody publish something publicly, the world responds instantly, and we get to read about it in real time. So how do you feel about that? How do you feel about Levi posting this, first of all, to shame somebody publicly? And how do you feel about, if you go to Magno's Instagram right now, hordes of comments on there just roasting it just fully online bullying him so how do you feel about that action and the reaction of the internet oh man i feel like if you've got something to say to somebody you should say it to their face that's kind of levi should have said it to magno's face and not published it i mean all the people that are that are going on on social media and, and basically canceling him, you know, or, or just saying negative things to him. Like, here's what should have happened. <clears throat> right away, the WSL should have grabbed both surfers on site, walked them back into a room and, and discussed this thing. 
you know, that's the problem. And that didn't happen. So Levi's like, well, how am I going to get justice? Because Levi was certainly a victim here. And so Levi just took matters into his own hands. So, the, you know, in my opinion, and I'm not sure exactly what happened on site, but I sense that the WSL didn't nip this in the bud. And I don't mean nip it in the bud like pretend it didn't happen. I mean, find out what happened and immediately go, dude, let me point to rule number 17A. If you shoot your board at a surfer, you're suspended for five months. Sorry. You know, even if it didn't mean to do it or whatever, you know, and, and again, that, that didn't occur. And so Levi went out there and did what he had to do, which uh, I'm not saying it was the wrong thing to do. I, I think, you know, it's sort of what led to the WSL going, oh, shit, this thing kind of blew up in our face. We better take action. You know, um, I mean, it, it wasn't even a challenger event. It was a Q. It was just like a 1000. Yeah. event. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm okay with Levi posting this publicly. This was egregious. This was somebody stepping outside the bounds of what's acceptable behavior in society. And the authority body, the WSL, did not handle it. So I agree. Levi was fully within his rights to put Magno on blast. I don't feel great about the internet jumping on Magno yeah, and just either. bullying him, you know? Me either. And I, but I know I feel compelled to do it myself and here we are doing yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so I do feel compelled to uh, see some amount of retribution placed on Magno, but anonymous commentating online and just part of that feels wrong to me. It's, it's sophomoric. It's, it, you yeah. know, it's like, do you, if, it's like nobody really has anything to say. Yeah. You know, Dropping saying, a bunch of clown or donkey saying, emojis. They're saying a lot, but they're not really saying anything. It's like, I want the weight of that to um, correct Magno's behavior, but I think it's ineffective. I think like that online bullying type thing, it, uh, you, the, it's like just dropping a bomb somewhere and letting it all kind of all the shrapnel effect yeah, it's not ta tactically applied. It's not it's tactically applied. Yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not sending a guided missile to hit a specific target. Right. It's like sending just this kind of flash bomb that creates a lot of shrapnel. I mean, ultimately, Magno can become a worse version of himself based on, because now he feels victimized, you know? He yeah. did something, and now there's this huge backlash, and now he's going to be a bigger asshole than ever because he feels like things went, you know? It's going to become the joker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's my concern with stuff like this is that there's potential for that to happen because it's not a tactical retribution. And I'm a huge fan of forgiveness, you know, like we got to forgive, like nobody's perfect. I mean, who amongst us hasn't done something that we're ashamed of and wish didn't occur? Um, you know, and the answer is none, you know, zero of us. And so right. it's important to find in our hearts some sort of forgiveness. I'm not saying don't forget about it. I'm not saying forget about what happened. Yeah. And, and I think that the WSL's actions are the right amount of, you know, I guess retribution or justice or whatever, however you want to phrase it. And, you know, you're not going to catch um, me, you know, piling on Magno. Uh, I'm not, I, I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not looking to become a friend or an enemy of Magno. I, I, I'm going to move on. But it's worth, I was worth mentioning his name. I didn't understand. Like if he was a minor or something. I think he's he out there. Him? His name's out there. I mean, every, yeah. 
everyone knows. We didn't, you didn't do anything bad there as far as I mean, I, well, like he, deserves, he deserves to be called out by name uh, because it, for all the reasons we've already stated, I thought it was weird when people were not mentioning his name. Anyways, Joel Tudor left a comment on Levi's page that Levi deleted. Would you like me to read that comment? Because oh, no. oh, I no. got it before he deleted it. Okay, what, what is this? Joel Tudor oh, said, no. quit crying like a wuss and pound him if you have a problem with him. Kids these days. <laughs> All right. Um, moving on, I've got a doctor's appointment to see about my baby's big head. I'm going to the big head specialist today. Oh, so I got to right. get out of here shortly. Yeah. Um, my must-see moment though, is the drive suit, the drive-through series is mm. back. The drive-through series was, uh, a partnership, a deal that was done with fuel TV. And it was, uh, started airing maybe two months ago. I don't have fuel TV as much as I love the drive-through series 15 years ago. I was like, unless fuel sends me the code to like log in, I'm not going to go through the effort to like track this thing down, but I did want to watch it. Well, apparently they now brokered another deal with stab. So it's available on stab. I don't even think it's a premium feature. So you can go watch the drive-through series on stab magazine right now. They launched episode one yesterday. It's every bit as entertaining and good as it was 15 years ago. Really? Does it have Donovan? Yep. Donovan and Benji are the old guard. <laughs> and then on, on the bus with them are um, Evan, Eric Geiselman Parker Coffin, Donovan's son, Hendricks, who absolutely rips. Uh, he's not there just as the son. He's actually like a phenomenal surfer. They got Dane Reynolds. They go to the East Coast this season. They spend time with Kelly Slater. They go to Surf Ranch. So it's, they got cool. heavy hitters. That sounds fun. That sounds like fun for sure. It's epic. Good. And Donovan says at the very beginning, the reason why we brought this back, we want to bring back the fun to surfing. And I thought, you know what? Mason's having fun. Everyone's um, having fun. What is he talking yeah. about? I wasn't ben Gravy fun, looks like he's having ball. fun. Yeah. <laughs> ben Gravy's having fun. Jamie O'Brien's having a ton of fun. There's lots yeah. of fun to be had, but so bring, it, bring it back anyways. Yeah, you can't have too much fun is what he should have said. <laughs> yeah. Um, Duke Kanemoku for the week is Johnny Fame. Really? Passed Tell away. More. Oh, I'm sad to hear that. Okay. Passed away uh, March 6th, so three days Mickey, ago now. He was uh, Mickey Dora's foil. Is what he John really was. Man. He was the Malibu Cowboy. He was 78 years old at his passing three days ago. From Matt Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surfing, a point break genius with lightning fast feet and a wicked grin. Fane famously dueled in and out of the water with Mickey Dora in the early and mid-60s. It was a show they put on. Uh, and it was a great one, except that it left Fane and Dora's shadow, which was unfair to Johnny. He was thought of by some to be a blowhard, but from here, it looks like he it was all Grand Beach Theater. And if Fane hit his wave riding peak in 2022 instead of 1965, he'd be the hottest thing in America surfing. Quote, even though I was the youngest surfer at Malibu, I kept up with the older guys and that was the challenge. That's what helped my drive. I knew that if I didn't keep up, I was gone. Later on, I got a Panama hat and that was a big deal. If you had a certain ranking in the pit, you were allowed to wear a Panama hat and stripes on your trunks. It was like being the command, being a commander with bars on your shoulder. The hat and the stripes were people's way of knowing that you are somebody without knowing your name. 
they got to, but they got to know your name real quick, rank and file. I was lucky because I had plenty of time to surf. My mother was a professional writer. She wrote the screenplay for The Son of Lassie, the film that made Peter Lawford a star. My dad owned and operated Malibu TV. The chores I had at home were minimal, and that helped me tremendously. While most kids were out doing their paper route or some other odd job, I was in the water advancing to new heights. I remember thinking of the Indy 500 while I surfed. I'm passing people in my Formula One car, pitting myself against the wave, pushing myself to the limit. I wanted to see how far I could go to defy the force of gravity. Only the equipment was holding me back. Cool. That's a pretty good quote from Johnny Fain. Yeah. Like rest it. in peace to a true original. He was also um, had small acting parts. He was in Beach Blanket Bingo. He was in Beach Party. He was in Gidget. He was in Big Wednesday. Mickey Dora was in all of those movies too. Not Big Wednesday, but he was in Beach yeah. Blanket Bingo. That's cool. Well, I'm sorry yeah. to hear that Johnny passed. Um, yep. Good surfer. Great stuff. Wonderful wonderful progressive surfer for the era and my kook of the week magno yeah. pacheco shockingly <laughs> magno buddy not good career over do do better <laughs> magno he will he's gonna turn it around he will I don't learn know magno well enough to know but i don't know him either but i just sense the human human nature is one to uh, most of us are smart enough to learn and to turn it into a positive somehow Good. Glad to hear it. I'll be uh, looking up that Bob Dylan song shortly to play it out for us today. Yeah, I'll try to find it too and send it to you. I can just put, go to the end of the documentary yep. and Shazam it if needed. Yeah, that's what you gotta do. Okay. It's playing right now under our voices. That's right. Here, this, isn't it this a cool song? Love All this right. one. I know. And I just came across. Uh, until next time, adios and aloha. And rest yourself neath the strength of strings No voice can hope to hum Struck by the sounds before the sun I knew the night had gone the morning breeze like a bugle Against the drums of dawn Lay down your weary tune Lay down Lay down the song you strum And rest yourself strength of strings No voice can hope to hum The ocean wild like an organ played The seaweeds woven strands The crashing waves like
Can hope to hum. 